This episode is brought to you by Tama Drums. I want to call your attention to two products in Tama's line that you may not be aware of, and these are designed for those of you who need something portable that you can easily grab and go for acoustic gigs or small venues. There's the Club Jam Kit, which comes with a 7x10-inch rack tom, a 7x14-floor tom, and a 12x18-inch bass drum, and also a 5x13-snare. So it doesn't take up a lot of space depth-wise. You can kind of fit in a corner of a room, but it kind of looks and feels like a regular four-piece kit. The second item is the Cocktail Jam Mini Kit. This is a unique setup, so if you want to Google the Cocktail Jam Mini Kit, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's The bass drum is actually like a floor tom where the pedal hits the bottom of the head. It's really neat, so it includes two toms and the bass drum and a snare plus a bass drum pedal and all the mounting hardware. It also comes with a pillow that goes into the bass drum side of the cocktail drum to make it more punchy. This whole, this whole kit sets up and tears down in minutes. It comes with its own bags and hardware. The whole kit fits into two bags. The uh, sizes are a 5 by 8 inch tom, a 5.5 by 12 inch floor tom, a 6 by 14 inch bass drum, and a 5 by 10 inch snare drum. Again, that one you have to see it to kind of understand what it's all about. So check out the Cocktail Jam Mini Kit and the Club Jam Kit by Tama. Let's get rolling. from Germany to New York is not bad at all. How are you, man? <laughs> I'm good. Not too bad. It's 8 a.m. here for me. What time is it for you and where are you? <laughs> uh, first of all, welcome to my life. I always have to do the podcast either 8 or 9 a.m. This is this is awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's 2 p.m. Yeah, 2.15 for me. I'm in Hamburg, Germany. So I'm in the middle of my clinic tour. Did uh, Poland two, two days ago. And that was a blast. And then Hamburg tonight. I'm super pumped for tonight because, one, Hamburg is one of my favorite cities uh, of all time. But uh, our good friend Yost Nickel will be at the clinic tonight. Oh, nice. Awesome. Yeah, so. Well, we should. Nothing to be nervous about then. We should make sure everyone listening knows that tonight you mean it is Tuesday. So. Yeah. <laughs> it already yeah. Happened. Don't come out to the Hamburg show. <laughs> um, I am in. Yeah. So anyway, so I have a clinic that has already happened uh, in your world, but uh, it should be fun because Yost is a great friend and definitely a mentor. So I'm really looking forward to hooking up with him. Do any of these clinics involve multiple drummer jams? So far, no. I was really surprised that, you know, in Poland or just Eastern Europe in general, there's it's almost like being back in China. They're so into drumming. I mean, mm. it's, it's you know, cool. it's just like uh, it's like a frenzy over there. Um, so I really did think there would be that moment where they would say, OK, and now you all go out and play together. And, <laughs> and I was like, Ugh. but no, it was really cool. Um, the only two Americans were myself and Josh Dion. And what was great was it wasn't just Josh doing a clinic. It was Paris Monster. So I actually finally got to see Paris Monster play instead of seeing Josh play Paris Monster tracks. Mm-hmm. So, so his bass player his, was with him. Okay, bass player. Yeah, his, his whole band was there, his bass player. <laughs> right. um, but it, it, was, it was awesome. And then got to have some dinner with him and some of the other artists. And uh, yeah, so I, I had a blast, man. It was good. I knocked over a snare drum, but other than that, it was good. Yeah, so let's explain why you're destroying stuff. And it makes sense. We're going to be talking about Keith Moon in this episode, but <laughs> that was a little out of character for you, Mr. Yeah. Polite. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you really examine the video again, you guys can watch it on my Instagram channel, at uh, drumteacher76. But it actually was polite. So, okay. So the snare did nothing wrong, let's be honest. So I'm in the middle of playing a song, and the song has kind of come to a peak where I'm about to have to start throwing some heat. So I need both hands, and I just feel the snare drum jab. This is my side snare, by the way, guys. Feel the side snare just jab into my left thigh, my hi-hat leg. And it has obviously the snare stand itself has given out. Now, this is not a DW hardware, Tama hardware, Pearl hardware thing. This is a rental gear hardware thing. Mm. Drums from rental companies, they're good. I mean, they're dinged up and stuff, but they're still drums. Hardware gets trashed from these rental companies. Mm-hmm. So even if it's a you know top of the line DW nine thousand, it's still been through some stuff. So, anyways, it gives out and it just nails into my thigh. The first thing you'll see in the video is I look immediately to my left and I notice on stage left there are no techs. There's no one around, mm. and so I so I'm thinking, um, okay, well I need both hands, and this thing's just laying on my leg. So I grab it, I try to fix it, it doesn't work, 
And so I think it's got to go. So I, you'll see in the video, I hold up my hand and I give the sound guy a one, two, three. I'm going to drop this thing, turn off the mic. <laughs> so I gave him, I politely said, this thing's going down. Shut channel nine off because it's going down. So I hold up my hand. I go one, two, three, push it over. The snare falls. It makes a huge racket. And I can totally see if somebody doesn't know me, how they could think that I'm just kind of being cool kid drummer. Like, I don't care about gear. <laughs> I took into consideration that that snare drum did nothing wrong, but it had die cast hoops. It was going to be fine. And it was probably, judging from the badge, it was probably like 15 years old, uh, Gretsch USA Custom. So if it survived 15 winters in Poland in a rental company, <laughs> it can handle me just giving it a little knockover. So the oh, snare was funny. fine. Did the uh, sound guy get the mic muted in time or did it explode? Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. No, everything was cool, man. Everything was cool. And uh, right. uh, he gave me a little thank you afterwards. He said, you know, I, I didn't understand it, but it's, it looked like he was nodding with a smile. And he said some words, and I was like, "Man, you're welcome, bro." <laughs> so, anyways, Poland was amazing. The crowd was fantastic, and uh, yeah, just keep on chipping away at these European clinics. So, dig it. Well, I did. Uh, I did like a first live web, st web stream um, last night with a with a guy I play with from his house, and we're using the Yamaha EAD10 as the drum miking system. Oh, really? And it How'd that go? Really, really well. So the setup is pretty simple. He's got a you know regular mixing board. He's got the bass going direct out of the amp. He's okay. got yep. the guitar going direct out of his uh, Axe FX processor, and the drums are only being mic'd up by the EAD10. And did your drums sound like Jacob's intro groove? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, bro. I'm so sorry. I've been holding on to it for the whole time I that know. I was blabbing. I've been waiting. <laughs> Surprisingly, they did sound like fully mixed. The toms are still not my favorite tone coming through. Yeah, that. I mean, just from the position of where it's getting mic'd. You but know? It, it works. I mean, as far as if you want to totally. just have a setup. So we just run out of the mixer into, he's got, I don't remember what the, what's the camera? It's like a Mevo or something. It's like okay. a, it's a camera that, you can actually it'll change angles on its own so it takes like oh. a panoramic image and then cuts it up and then just goes back and forth oh that's cool that's really cool yeah so it actually identifies the faces so there's three of us to identify the three of us and then every 10 seconds it would cut to one of us from the panoramic shot pretty amazing wow yeah so it was cool i mean i mean if anyone's looking to do that kind of thing the yamaha ead 10 is again proving to be Pretty awesome piece of gear. Now, where, what did you stream to? Did you stream to Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or he, to his own private thing? He was streaming to Facebook Live. Okay. So, yeah. So, that's going to... It's tough. Like, you know, with Instagram, because it's a mobile platform, you have to stream through your phone, yeah. which makes it really hard to do any kind of good audio. I would say if you're streaming through that, I still think that that... Um, what is it? The uh, Actually, you know, I... I the EAD10 can go into your phone, so I yep. wonder if you could stream to Instagram from your phone with the EAD10. I'm sure you, you can. Could. It would just be a yeah. matter of getting the camera somewhere where it actually makes sense. But yeah, and that's another thing too is with drums, the iPhone has like an anti-shake built into it, but when you put it on a stand and there's vibrations, it's trying to fix the vibrations, so it actually shakes itself. It's kind of oh yeah anti-intuitive because <laughs> um, it's like we got you, we got you. And it's like no, 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 stop moving. <laughs> I put you on a tripod. You're fine, but it thinks that it's got like hand jitter, so it, nice. it kind of overcorrects. But anyways, that's awesome. I, I'm excited to. Uh, I, I I told the guys at Yamaha. I said, man, I'm sorry if I gave the product a less than stellar review on the podcast. I hope you guys understand. I'm always going to try to be honest because I don't want to be a shill for any company. But once I dug back into it with my campers in person, I really fell in love with that product again. Yeah. And what is cool for this situation, because we're in a basement, it's a studio, but it's a basement and it's, it could be loud. So I'm actually wearing headphones the whole time. The drums are being fed back to me. Um, so I'm getting like a nice studio quality mix. So I didn't feel That's like really I had cool. to play super quiet. It was really, it was really surprisingly uh, comfortable to do that kind of thing. So not to mention, and you know, we've already discuss this product so we're not trying to do a second EAD 10 review but the form factor of it you can throw it in a bag the entire thing yeah. I don't think it would take exactly. up much more room than if you brought you know two mics and a, and a couple stands that would take more room than this so yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's pretty easy and it's so simple to set up as long as you have a power outlet that's the only thing but you know you would need that too if you were plugging your mics into a mixing board so. yeah exactly 
So how about that intro groove? (laughs) I I was, man, (laughs) man, Jacob. With bass. Yeah, so this is cool. This is from Jacob. He's from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He said he wrote the intro groove first, and then he decided to put a bass line on it. So this was the first time he's ever created his own music. So I'm glad we could inspire you to do that. You should do more of it. You should do it every single day. So (laughs) keep doing it. I think it sounds great. He's looking for feedback, but... I, I think it's just Dawson cool. just told you what's what. <laughs> Do it every single day. And he's only using two mics. So that drum sound is just an Audix D6 on the bass drum. And I guess that's an Audix ADX51 as the overhead. Cool, man. Snare drum sounds great. like John Bonham. That's a DW collector's uh, black nickel over brass, it looks like. Ooh. Very nice indeed. Uh, by the way, Poland... Big fans of the podcast. Oh yeah, lots no, of listeners no came idea. out. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even kidding, man. Like everyone there, just they just. It's so funny for them to ask questions about our lives that I forget. I'm like, how would you know that? You know, like, <laughs> you know I, I'm not going to fake my Polish accent because it'll sound like I'm being the most rude person ever because I can't do a Polish accent. But they would ask things like, "So do you think Dawson's nervous?" I'm like. Who? What? What are you talking about? <laughs> I know I know he's got that big thing coming up at PASIC, and I'm like, what? How do you guys know this stuff? Amazing. Um, but it was rad, man. And uh, all of them were asking, like, you and Mike should do a clinic tour together. And I was thinking, you know what? I think maybe the camp thing was just asking a little too much too early on in the podcast, but I think a clinic tour, an East Coast clinic tour, would be a lot of fun just because yeah. our teaching styles are so different, and we could pack it in to a you know 60 to 90 minute session and then just head on to the next city yeah let's do it something let's to think do, about oh, for sure speaking of mm. basic i need to clarify last week we had rbh sponsor the episode and they're going to be supplying the kit i got the specs wrong on the westwood series so i just want to clarify so their monarch series is three ply mahogany poplar mahogany with solid reinforcement rings the westwood is actually a five ply mahogany with a poplar core and no reinforcement rings, so that's more of your Gretsch style, whereas the Monarch would be more of your old WFL style. Um, and now, its I've, price oh, point is under $2,000 for a Westwood kit. Wow, that's With, amazing. Uh, now, I've, never met, drums. I've never met Bruce, but he just from seeing all of his posts online, he seems like a very kind guy. How does he bring this up to you? Is he polite about it? Like, hey... How you doing? Just wanted to let you know you got the specs wrong. It's just my company. No, and my no, no. Later. It was it was between the two of us. It just he sent me the specs at five thirty p.m. the day that the podcast was already published. So ah, uh, gotcha. I, I okay. should have done my due diligence a little bit better. He just sent it to me the specs, and I'm like, oh, I got these wrong. Sorry, let me clarify those. There's just there's a few people in the drum industry that I could just imagine getting specs wrong for, and I would be like, oh hell, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I do not want to have like a cage match with you at Nam. I thought I thought the I thought the stick was sixteen inches, sixteen and an eighth. <laughs> By the way, no one in the stick industry is like that. All right, well, let's get into some playing stuff. Let's talk about something that I think relates to all of us. Well, I know it relates to all of us, but I think it's getting more prevalent now. For some reason, even though Instagram has given us this chop fest that we're all being bombarded with it's also giving us an appreciation for who is standing out in that world with great technique and relaxation instead of just hearing people we can see people now so we can see if you have great hand technique and we just all of a sudden know like oh that's different than the last 15 videos i've seen that guy or girl really has a fluid technique so we're going to be talking about stick heights different stroke types. So this is an article, uh, the Strictly Technique section in the current issue of Modern Drummer. This is by Josh Jones. And you said he's the principal percussionist. Calgary, I think he's at Calgary Symphony. And if you're not following Josh, definitely uh, check out him on Instagram. He's posting a lot of really good little short lessons on various drumming technique and warm-ups. I mean, he's, he's really got it down. So not only does he have a premier percussion gig, he also knows how to really teach and deliver it. So he wrote this piece, um, it's an in-depth study to develop consistency is the subtitle. And what it comes down to, which is something I've been trying to preach at all of my lessons and clinics, is that the more disciplined you can be in your technical practice, the more relaxed and free you can be when it comes time to make music. So yeah, he's taken the totally super agree. strict, like, make sure you know what a full stroke is, make sure you know what a tap is, make sure you know what a downstroke is and an upstroke, and then here's 
what did he give us? 34 exercises that develop those four different stroke types. And if you look at the music, it's just eight notes. It's just... Yeah, and <laughs> it's, it's surprising, especially when you get down into starting around number 14. I think if I just told a student, this is the tap stroke, do this. They mm-hmm. would work on it, and it would it would actually be like it, very tangible. They may not be great at it, but it would be t- very tangible. This is the downstroke. Just work on this. But as soon as you start mixing strokes, mm-hmm. like down tap up, down tap up, all of a sudden you're gonna have to bring that BPM down to about thirty five. Yeah, because everyone's technique starts to go kind of swishy swashy in the middle, and then your sound <laughs> gets you know like you right. You know what I mean? It just, yeah, like, oh, yeah. Your yeah. hand starts flopping, and then the tap is no longer a tap, and an accent is no longer an accent. So we should probably define yeah. the four stroke types, huh? Bring it. All right, full stroke. I define a full stroke as starting high and you ending and you end high. So you start at a yes. fully vertical or close to vertical as you can. You strike the drummer pad, and it immediately comes right back to where it started. Beautiful. How would you define a tap? A tap for me would the stroke would already be down. Mm-hmm. And then I'd be dropping it from about an inch to two inches and then bringing it back to that same spot. Right. All right. So it's a full stroke from a low position, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. All right. But so, the one, oh, let's, yeah, we'll define the four strokes and I want to talk about some of them individually. Okay. So how would you get from a full to a tap? That would be the downstroke. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's something that. When people say I just play with my fingers, I it's like you, no, you, you're gonna you're gonna need to involve a lot of things here because when you bring that stroke down, that full stroke down at as maximum velocity, but then it needs to have a tap right after it, like a you know I would consider it an accent followed by a ghost in the drum set world. You have to hold it down. The one mistake I see people making when they're trying to do ghost notes is that they take a full stroke and then try to slow it down on the way down like oh my god i'm so sorry oh please be quiet i'm like just don't bring it up in the first place just drop it from one inch and you'll be fine so you're right to to go from uh downstroke to a tap or sorry full stroke to a tap you change the full stroke to a downstroke which involves for me it involves um, not allowing the wrist to come back up and the fingers just tighten a little bit to, to, to clamp down to yeah what Bill Bachman calls putting on the brakes. So it just stops the stick. It's not a, the hard thing for me with students is a downstroke is not a forced muscle accent. It's just a full Mm -hmm. stroke. And then right after you hit the drum, you squeeze the fingers and it locks it right there. Right. The upstroke opposite. The tricky one. That's the one that I think most people (laughs) struggle with. How do you go from a low tap back up to a full stroke? Yeah, that's tough. And I mean, and I think upstrokes it's so helpful to have a visualization. My teacher, um, I, I don't remember if it was Pete Magadini or maybe even just a private teacher before that because it, it feels like it was early on in my drumming. But somebody said, you're pushing the sound into the drum. I need you to pull the sound out of the drum. Mm, and right. as soon as they said that, I was like, I oh. like, And I really visualized pulling the sound out of the drum. I know that no one on the podcast can see the motions <laughs> I'm making right now. <laughs> But Mike can. But it looks great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so good. Um, but yeah, so that was, you know, something that pulling the sound out of the drum gave me that upstroke. Yeah. For me, the visual- visualization is uh, you touch a hot plate. So you want to, like, get Ooh. off it really fast. Yeah. I, I, or, yeah, uh, that's perfect. Jeff Picaro calls them snap-ups. <clears throat> snap-ups. It's so funny. I mean, we all end up doing this stuff because we need to to create the texture and the sound that we're going for dynamically. But everyone has their own way of doing it and their own way of getting there. Um, so, okay. So with the downstroke, let's start with um, the downstroke. Mm-hmm. Do you? I'm trying to think. Do you feel it as a, a wrist thing, a finger thing, or is it tempo based? Uh, downstroke tempo based. No, I think it's it's. Wrist. Yeah, I'm sorry if they were repetitive, playing them just da 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 da. da. Well, I guess then you'd have yeah, the upstroke do. as yeah. well or full yeah. stroke. Okay, so let's call it a full stroke. Excuse me. Okay, so full stroke just playing straight eighth notes. If to me, at, there's a speed. If I was slow enough, I wouldn't really be using my fingers at all. It would be all wrist because it's so slow. Mm. And then there would be a speed at some point where I just allow my fingers to take over, and then I'm dribbling a basketball pretty much. 
Yeah, I would say it, it's probably mixed depending on the type of articulation I'm going for, but um, I try to make full strokes like a throw, like the whole hand is engaged and the fingers open and the wrist snaps. Yep. And it's yeah. almost like a like you're letting go of the stick entirely. It's, you're just throwing it down and it comes right back up. Yeah. And that seems to be like one of the things that can slow people down if they think like, oh, I'm not very fast. And then I check their technique and it's like, oh my gosh, you're doing so much work because that upstroke, you didn't really need to do anything. There was so much momentum mm-hmm. and you were hitting a hi-hat or a snare drum that has rebound. You weren't hitting your floor tom. So you have rebound. You're just stopping that rebound from happening. And I, I used to visualize too or help my students visualize what it'd be like. I'm like, you are bouncing a basketball in sand. You're putting it down and then you're picking it back up. Mm. Like you don't need to do that. Right, right. Go bounce it on a hard floor and it'll come back up on its own. You need to accept the fact, you know, there's a, there's a very big difference from what a young student would do and young, I mean, how long they've been playing, which is what I call baby bouncies in a double stroke role where they're just bouncing the stick and getting two hits out of it. That's mm-hmm. very different than consciously and purposely accepting the rebound and yeah, understanding yeah. it. And using that inertia or whatever the term would yeah. be to get the net the second stroke which that's why i try not to when someone asks me like should i be using fingers or wrists i try not to even answer that question because just let your hand do what it should do <laughs> and i could totally see you just staring at them and being like i'm not budging i'm not answering yeah that. i, I want to just give them like a, a a tennis ball and say can you bounce this well then that's how you should hit the drum just don't throw the stick on the floor like do right. whatever you need to do to keep from throwing a stick on the floor and let it go. I mean, I know yeah. that it's it's drumming's weird because it's like any physical activity. You have to overthink it before you cannot think about it at all. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of the goal for me is I don't want to think about it. Just just throw it and let it come right back. Yeah, and and the other thing that's tough is this would be such an easier topic if we didn't play a drum set with multiple tension surfaces. You know, if we yeah. only played a snare drum, there, there's one way to do it, but. Things that I can do on my snare drum sure as hell don't work on my floor tom. Yeah. A nice smooth press roll on a loose 18 with a <laughs> pinstripe head. <laughs> Bro. It's a boosh, 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 boosh. Yeah. I think there's so. there's also a hidden uh, function of this stuff. So the whole article is, is basically practice pad exercises. And I think, uh, I think it can't be overstated how important it is to be super strict with your stroke type practice for a while to make sure you mm-hmm. really know. Like you get because you have to prepare if you're going to go from a full stroke to a tap, you have to prepare, you have to think ahead. Um, which that's part of it. I think the other hidden benefit is when you're shifting to different instruments. If you only play downstrokes, if all you do is play rock beats and everything's a downstroke, you're not giving yourself any chance to prepare to hit a floor tom. So, you're right. inevitably, it's going to throw your timing off. Where if you think, all right, I've got to do an upstroke to 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 uh allow my arm time to get over to the floor tom shifting is what it's called in, in percussion so you're allowing yourself to shift by the rebound rather than downstroke oh my god i gotta move real quick over right right floor. right and <laughs> that and that that i think almost comes down to fluidity and that's the thing that i'm saying that on whether it be youtube instagram or going to see live music that's one of those things that we may not know why we feel so relaxed when we're watching a professional drummer but those things create the visualization and um, the auditory flow. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, they're just flowing around the drum set. It's because they never have that moment of like, oh, I've got to rush to get over to this crash cymbal from the floor tom because I wasn't ready for it after yeah. this p- particular stroke. So I think it's really important for all of you guys out there, please don't ignore this stuff. I can tell you right now, if you ever struggled with like the ghost note after a backbeat on a shuffle or a halftime shuffle, it's because you hadn't worked on your downstroke followed by a tap. Yeah. And if you would have just worked on that on a pad, you would have that skill set. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the hard. That might be the trickiest technique shift to play a rim shot followed by a, a ghost note. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> And that's the moment that all that Jeff Picaro Rosanna talk will go, oh, got it. Okay, okay, okay. Well, anyways, guys, check out this article. It's really, I mean, I think it's brilliant that he wrote the whole thing in eighth notes. So no one has to be massively up on their notation theory. If you can read one and two and, you will get through this whole article because all he's teaching you is just combinations of full stroke, downstroke, tap stroke, and upstroke. All right, so that's the Josh Jones article, and now it is time to talk about our featured artist. Featured artist this week is Mr. Keith Moon. 
Okay, so Keith Moon, this is definitely not one of the rock drummers that I was obsessed with or studied. And honestly, it has to do a lot with era, just that era of music. Um, I had to later in life go back and check out the legends. It just wasn't something I kind of got into rock in the 80s and 90s. Hmm, and right. then lay, way later on had to go back. So were you a Keith Moon fan back in the day? Or was it just something where you kept hearing this name and you eventually had to go check it out? My parents had uh, the Who record, Who's Next? So it was okay. just, I would just rotate it in. I'd be listening to Michael Jackson and then I'd throw on the Who. So I, I heard it. Um, uh, it was something about it that I liked, but also something about it that was really foreign. And I think it was the drumming whereas if i put led zeppelin on it was like oh i can hear van halen in this i can hear yeah. other stuff that was on the radio but when i put the who on i'm like i don't know what is going on and i think it was the drums just a, a totally different approach to drums than what i was used to hearing <laughs> yeah and you know the other thing too is there was this weird switch um in in that era of time from going from a jazz kit tuning and an open sound to like a thuddy rock tune. And so it was like this rock thing that I was used to, but it, it was very almost like, you know, I don't know, high tuned concert Tom. Yeah. It was like open. It was really open. And I just remember thinking like, I can't, and it wasn't a loop. That was the one thing is I never heard Keith like looping. So I couldn't just nail it down. Mm -hmm. So I think I was frustrated by it the first few times I heard it. Uh, because I, I loved some of the songs. I mean, they were just obviously massive hit singles and stuff. But I was like, ah, well, I can't figure out the beat in one bar. I'm out. Yeah, you know? because, yeah, he never played the same thing <laughs> twice, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> the reason that we did this feature in the December issue is that they just released, um, what is the package? So it's a deluxe edition of um, Pete Townsend's Who Came First, which has demo versions um Actually, there's yeah, there's demo versions of some of the Who songs where Pete Townsend actually played drums. So if you haven't wow. heard that yet, check it out. And so you can kind of hear, like, this is what the song would sound like if Keith Moon was not the drummer. And I think everyone will agree that they are better for the fact that Keith Moon is the drummer <laughs> on the final recordings. Yeah. He's brought something intangible, something really exciting to those tracks that when you hear the demos, like, okay, it's a good song, but... It's not the classic that it is now. Right, right. Um, Do you want to listen to this uh, Won't Get Fooled Again isolated drum track? Yeah, yeah. Check it out. A little bit of this. This is taken off the, I don't know how they did this, from Rock Band or something. They grabbed the drums. That isolated drum tracks of that time are not even remotely isolated because <laughs> the whole so band played together. Lead. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. They're just you like imagine, no vocals. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, could you imagine if it's like uh, if there was an acoustic instrument in the room and it said isolated acoustic guitar, it would just be all drums just bashing <laughs> through the whole thing. Okay, so do you? Because obviously, you know, we're not watching a video of this. We're watching just random clips of Keith bashing live while this is while we're hearing this but I've never seen him play in the studio what, do you think he was that bombastic in the studio or do you think he had a Bonham-esque nature to him that could also be a session drummer that's a good question I mean there's other um, drum isolated tracks you can find on YouTube where you can hear him like screaming like a banshee in the okay, studio so, so he was Keith Moon all I think the time. he was just Keith Moon all the time in part of the story uh, there's a debate about whether or not Keith actually practiced and and some people say that he actually practiced more than he alluded to. Okay. Uh, and, like, what is the quote? But they also say he was a natural. So he, I think he just had a right. natural gift for it. Um, yeah. So I guess maybe the natural timing kind of kept him from having to practice too much, that he could kind of do whatever he wanted. But, yeah, I think he was probably more dedicated to the craft than, than his kind of 
uh, he says he watched a lot of, of Groucho Marx when he was younger, so that makes sense, right? This kind of yeah, goofy yeah, comedian person on the drums. Putting on a show, for sure. Yeah, so I think that kind of superseded the fact that he really was serious about the drums. And how about that drum sound? So I hear, like, when, when we were coming up, we didn't, the Keith Moon was like a, a f- total anomaly compared to John right. Bonham and, and Kiss and whatever we were listening to. But I hear this in so many drummers now, I'm thinking like Ronnie with the Killers. Mm, I mean, there's so yeah. many drummers that have this Keith Moon style now that I that now it feels really comfortable and normal. It's just strange, but not strange at the time. shift. Yeah, 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 but not at the time. At least not in the '80s when all I was hearing was Michael Jackson and Van Halen. Yeah, and it's weird. Like we talked about the fact that he's obviously not looping anything. The fills aren't your traditional drum fills. It's 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 a living, breathing piece of. I mean, you can listen to the isolated drum track for all seven minutes and it's a living breathing piece of music that he's playing all by himself yeah um it's always grooving it always feels good but it's not i don't know it's not super predictable like and here comes the drum fill and it's just maybe it happens maybe it doesn't and then right when you go like man all this guy can do is some basic flams he'll play some 16th note triplets that are just flawless bang, (laughs) and it's like oh man those are some clean singles yeah Uh, just flying around the kit with Reckless abandon, and that's the other thing that is pretty cool. Is even though he was pure chaos, he actually had a really consistent drum tone. He's, you're not hearing a yeah. bunch of rims, and you know, how about and, that snare sound? I mean, that's like, right. That's what I want my snare to sound like. Yeah, no, it sounds <laughs> yes. fantastic. So yeah, I should I mean I would keep saying Van Halen doesn't sound like uh, Keith Moon. Obviously, Alex Van Halen was influenced by Keith Moon, and also other drummers that we might not think about. Like I know Neil Peart has said many times that Keith Moon is his favorite drummer. So talk about wow. like what did he grab from Keith Moon that became Neil Peart? It's well, the other thing that we n- don't talk about very much is how you can have a favorite drummer and play nothing like them. Yeah. Sometimes they just inspire you to play, but. I don't have very many Weckleisms. He's my favorite drummer, you know? And it's it's like Dave Weckle and Phil Collins. I never go, zhitum, 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 gat, gat. I don't play a left-handed kit. But there's mm. there's other things in there that are influential to me from those guys that might not be so obvious. And I, I definitely could see somebody like Neil, especially with his personality, looking up to Keith Moon. And instead of trying to emulate it, being envious of it and going like, oh, that yeah. guy just doesn't care. I wish I was more like that. Yeah, and also, I mean, the the kit, like big kits with lots of toms, I can see yeah, that. But I think also sure. Neil took like, okay, my favorite drummer plays fills all the time. That's what I'm going <laughs> to do. I'm just going to do it my way, which means I'm going to just plan them out and make these right. super arranged Be fills. Be flawless. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Pretty neat. That's very cool. Well, um, you know what would be fun is to do a little roundup of some of the drummers that you and I are currently friends with and just... Ask them, you know, give us your top five most influential drummers to you personally in no particular order, and but not best drummers, you know. Because um, mm-hmm. some, I would say some of my, my most influential drummers to me personally, I wouldn't put them in the top 500 best drummers, but they were, they were everything to me, you know. Um, yeah. Bec- and, and I also think, and, and this is probably a good thing to talk about with Keith, how do you judge a drummer? And the way that I would judge a drummer is out of zero to a hundred percentile, how close are they to achieving what they set out to achieve? And if they're in that 90 percentile, they're a great drummer because they're achieving what they were trying to do. It doesn't matter how difficult it is. I think Keith yeah. is at a hundred percent of what he was trying to achieve. So how could you compare that to Buddy Rich or Vinnie Caliuda? It's like, well, he crushed what he was going for. So that's it. Yeah, that's always a tough debate, like how you define a great drummer. I think, I feel like you can just sense it rather than define it. Right. Like, I think Meg White was great with the White Stripes, but put her in any other band, I don't think we would say that. It was just that that duo was just perfect. They did exactly what they needed to do. And, you know, uh, vice versa, put any other drummer in the White Stripes, and it's going to be a very different band. Yeah. And so as long as you're setting out, as long as you're achieving what you've set out to achieve, I think it makes you great. And Keith was definitely doing that. All right, everybody. So now it is time to talk a little bit about our sponsor. Yeah, we've got Tama Drums sponsoring the episode, and they wanted to make sure we let everyone know about, they have these these two uh, really portable configurations, these series. So there's the Club Jam, 
which you haven't seen that. That is a four-piece configuration with a 12 by 18 inch bass drum, so really shallow. Seven by 10 inch rack tom, seven by 14 floor tom, and a five by 13 snare. That is a that's a nice kind of like small room, compact setup. That even you can you could stack the toms in probably one floor tom case for getting it in and out of the kit. Um, the other one is the, which is the one that really kind of caught my ear, the Cocktail Jam Kit. If you haven't seen this, this is the one that's like a it's like a stand-up kit, or you can sit down at it, but it's a floor tom where the pedal hits the bottom of the floor tom, and the shell is actually segmented. Have you seen this thing? No. It's a, they call it a 6x16 six bass drum, but you can but it's actually you can separate the top and bottom head on these rails. So you can play the top like a floor tom, you play the bottom head like a bass drum. Huh. It's really neat. I've seen Spanky do some some videos on it. Uh, Sput has been using it. The bass drum is really convincing. There's like a pillow thing that they they call a sound focus pad that goes into the bottom head. That it, it makes it really punchy. So it's got that kind of cocktail drum, and then there's also a five by ten inch rack tom that hangs off of that, and a five and a half by f- or a five by twelve snare drum. So that all kind of hangs off of one setup. Really neat, and there's different, awesome. you know, a bunch of different uh, finishes and things. So check it out: cocktail jam kit, and then the club jam kit. If you need something to play small rooms, or you just want something kind of funky and a little bit different, uh, give those a listen. There's there's plenty of videos online. Uh, I know you can find Sput demoing at least the what is it, the cocktail jam kit. Sput man, hmm. that is one talented dude. You see all those Vic Firth videos with him playing keys. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that whole thing pretty much you know being that he, his brainchild, right? Yeah, and he was the musical director of all of it. I mean, those arrangements are no joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, dude. And, and he's just over there just like, all right, man, yeah, no, I know where we are. And I'm thinking, like, <laughs> do you guys have a click? How do you know where you? And, and Sput's just hitting these random, I mean, that dude's a freak of nature. He is absolutely yeah. one of the best people in the world. Yeah, he's and, uh, one of those. One of those that, great, that, that great. annoy you because they're so talented and they don't even, well, they yep. probably know it now, but. He, he probably doesn't realize just how freaking nature he is. And he's got, I mean, it's it's great to see uh, him doing, you know, playing with Tama, uh, Annika. Oh, by the way, at some point, we got to talk about Matt Halper moving to Pearl. Oh, yeah, right. Not now, but we will. Well, but that's it. I mean, it's cat's out of the bag. We're not breaking any news here. Everyone knows. <laughs> but... Uh, but when he put the announcement on that he was um, leaving Mapex, I remember I, I definitely I had you know I didn't want to like text him and be like tell me buddy, um, but uh, I just thought like where could he go? Like I, I actually really thought Tama, but I was like well, but they've got Gartska. Mm-hmm. I don't know you know if that's really a home for him where he can get the attention where he could be the standout guy of that genre, and uh, so the Pearl thing's pretty awesome. So, And congratulations, he just got married as well. So, Matt, love you, buddy, and now it's time to talk about Nicky Moon, <laughs> Custom Symbols. <laughs> Thanks, Tom, for sponsoring the episode. So, Nicky Moon, I think he was a pick of the week for me a few episodes back, mm-hmm. and I finally got a chance to do a proper demo of his stuff. So this is a New Jersey-based custom symbol maker. Um, who is hammering and lathing his own stuff out of his own shop, uh, which you don't see too often. There's only a handful of these, I think, in the United States of guys doing being this crazy to take <laughs> on this type of a project. So the, the symbols that I checked out were the... Um, let's see, I've got them here. So if you go to Nikki Moon, so it's N-I-C-K-Y-M-O-O-N.com, you can see some of the different symbols I checked out. I checked out what he's calling the half naked series. So it's like Hello. it's raw from the bell to halfway out, and then it's lathe from the mid midpoint of the bow to the edge. I checked out the eighteen inch half naked crash, and I think it was a twelve inch half naked splash. Yeah. I also checked out a twenty inch, he just calls it a limited edition ride, which is kind of a uh medium thin. And then another, that was a B20, and then another 20-inch uh, B8 ride. Oh, wow. And then the hi-hats were what he's calling Modern Angel Series. So you really have to see them. They're, they're really beautiful. There's also a uh, China. So some of these were B20 bronze that I believe he actually hammered them while he was in Brazil learning the art of symbol making. And then he finished them at his shop in New Jersey. The B8 one... 
I think he did it all at his own shop. So it's a really different sound. So in the video that will be linked, you'll hear the hi-hats, the B8 ride crash, and then the B20 stuff. So it's the hi-hats, the B8 ride, the splash, the crash, the B20 ride, and then the China. So let's check it out. Let's give it a listen. Yeah, they were fun. I think the the Chinas are really cool because he's done the different style where the bell and the flange are on the same side, mm-hmm. the inverted oh, yeah. China. And those, I don't know if you know how those symbols are made. You actually have to hammer the the China shape. Like, oh, really? I didn't. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, you have to. I they were pressed or something. No, it's all hammered. So he gets these blanks like raw, like un untouched, and then he does all the hammering and all the lathing himself pretty impressive so i would go to his website check out what he's got um if you're looking for something also it does modifications so if you want to send him some of your old beginner symbols that you think maybe could be turned into something useful he can do that if you got crack symbols he'll he'll cut them down relay them for you so i I gotta ask you since you've been reviewing gear for so long uh he's offering a 20 inch stainless steel ride symbol have you ever seen anybody make Symbols out of stainless steel? Is that normal? I've never heard of that. Yeah. Well, I got one from him. <laughs> oh, did you really? Yeah. It is. I, biscuit. I didn't include it in this review because I felt like we should check out his, you know, sure. normal symbols. But the stainless steel stuff is really cool. So he took uh, just a piece of stainless steel and hammered it into this gorgeous, it looks like an old K Zildjian. And it has a bit of, I mean, when you play it, it's kind of like a, like alien version of an old K. It's almost it's, like there's a there's a tight um, gate on the symbol, and it's right. really interesting. It's it sounds fantastic, but it has so much character. Like yeah, and holy hell, it's two hundred and fifteen dollars. Right? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm going to be ordering. I think hi hats and some sort of a crash to accompany that ride soon because it's just funky. You don't get that sound. He did say that you have to be careful because it's soft. If you beat the snot out of it, they'll bend yeah. real, real easily. But I could see that happening. That you just all of a sudden it's just warped to yeah. to the side that you always <laughs> hit it on. But still, I mean, I just was not when I saw that I was like, oh, it's stainless steel look. Oh no, he made it out of stainless steel. Yeah. And then I clicked on it, and and I, it's weird. I could hear if anyone's ever worked in metal shop. There, you know, if you're a drummer and you worked it and you had metal shop in school, you've tapped on a piece of sheet metal and it has a sound to it. Yeah, there's a little bit of that in there, yeah, but it's beautiful, it's <laughs> like it's amazing. And uh, you know, so I'm trying to think who makes the um, is there like a thunder sheet? Doesn't somebody oh, make a sheet yeah. of sheet metal? That might be a different uh, company. And Keplinger has been making. Oh no no, no I know I, I think I, I meant I meant like Zildjian or something made that thunder sheet. Oh yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, and I I remember just thinking like, oh, I'm, you know, it'd be cool to put a hole in this, but I never thought hammering it into like the actual shape of a ride symbol. Yeah, yeah, that's and, that might be the most. I mean, if you check out that symbol on his site, that kind of shows his true artistry because that started out just a flat sheet of metal that he turned into this thing that looks amazing, like an old K. <laughs> Congrats, Nicky Moon, you are. You are doing it, brother. Very cool. So, yeah, check out NickyMoon.com. That's N-I-C-K-Y-M-O-O-N.com. And right on the front page, you'll see the link to the stainless steel multipurpose ride symbol as well as all of his other stuff, which is, as you heard in the little sample we played, absolutely fantastic. It is now time to get to your questions. As you can hear, Mike shuffling the papers around. them up. All right, our first one is from Sean. I think this is something we might have addressed a little bit a couple weeks ago, but it can always be readdressed. 
Please, could you give some advice on keeping good time when playing with a band? I can keep a constant tempo when playing with a click and can play to a gap click fairly reliably at different tempos, but when I play with the band, I lose my reference for where the tempo should be and we play everything faster than we should. <laughs> yeah, man. Don't we I all? Mean, ev- yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, and by the way, you don't on stage, you just do on the video afterwards. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> in your mind, you crushed it, man. You're killing it. And then you listen to the recording, you're like, no, there's no way we played it that fast. Yeah. Because um, yeah, I even go through, and I don't know if you've gone through this before with your clinic stuff, with your loops, but I even have, uh, I don't know, I guess, n- excitement that leads me to think that my laptop is playing my track slower than normal. Yeah. Like, there's no way that song's that slow. It's, I think it's such a common phenomenon in, in every yeah. band I've ever played in, except for, no, there was two. And they were the ones that were fronted by female leads. Maybe that's a coincidence, maybe not. Every other band that was all dudes, everyone uh-huh. said, can we speed this one up two, three clicks when we play it live? And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> we cannot do that. You may think you want to do that, but you're going to listen right, you back don't. and you're going to realize that we because sound stupid. If you wanted, if you really wanted to do that, we would have recorded it two or three clicks faster. Yeah, yeah. I the don't, song sits where the song sits. I don't support that. And it is interesting that it was the female leads that were like, "Can we pull it back a little bit?" They wanted to just make it a little bit, give it a little more space. So, wow. I think it's yeah, common, I, very common. I mean, do you think? But as far as fixing that, one, I think. There's nothing right. If you don't want to play with a click on stage or if it's just not feasible because of the way your band is set up, that's fine. But it doesn't mean you you can't use a click to get your tempo set before you count the band in. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, do I think that that's every time. the best. Yeah, there's nothing whenever, wrong with Whenever that. I can, I, I definitely do that because what I've found is there's always going to be someone in your band, unless you're all just really locked, there's going to be someone that's going to want to pull you forward and right. you have to make a decision. Do I... Do I sacrifice what I know is the proper tempo and let this guitarist just rip my ears apart with his <laughs> is everything is a little bit ahead of the beat, or do we just right. you know gradually nudge it up to where everyone is kind of in a happy medium? Right. Um, that's what I tend to do is I can tell right away like okay, he wants to go a lot faster. We got to gradually get to right. a point where I'm I'm not losing my mind and he's not looking back at me like come on let's go. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah, I think starting with a click is good. I think. Um, which is, I think I repeat this all the time. You gotta, you gotta be invested mentally in it. So you have to sing along with yourself. I think once you get distracted by that, the acoustic guitar player is rushing, or the bass player is slightly behind the beat, then all of a sudden you're like, "Well, am I the problem? Who's who's the cause of the problem?" Where if you're, yeah, I think that you're just that's probably what he's yeah, that's probably what he's going through is the the second guessing of the time. Where if you like you said, if you just commit and you know that this is where it's at. You're going to be fine. And and the other thing is, at some point, as uncomfortable as it is, you have to take your band out to dinner and have a tempo talk. Yeah. Nothing wrong with having a little tempo talk. Yeah. Like, come I, on, guys. I butt heads on that all the time. Because it's I know I know everyone's going to be like, man, it just feels slow. I'm like, it feels slow. Yes. <laughs> it, yeah. But it is not slow. And, and no all we have to do is... Hears it that way. Yeah, we will record... Yeah, the thing is, the audience isn't as excited as you are. <laughs> so they're going to hear it normal. Just record the show. Come back to my place after the show. We'll put it on the TV. We'll eat some popcorn, have some pizza. And we'll, uh, we'll just live BPM this thing and see how it goes. So I'm with you, man. Yeah. And I went to a, a wedding this past weekend, and the band was great, but... I could I could tell that they were like a couple of times I'm like that's definitely fast something's not right and then I got out the live VPM and checked it and looked at the original I'm like yeah they're they're kind of habitually five six clicks faster than the album version which to which a, you don't really know what the problem is but you just feel like it's something's very not real. right yeah it's very real absolutely all right so I hope that helps buddy yeah not really but we tried <laughs> <laughs> I hope it helps to know that you're not alone yeah. <laughs> Okay, this one is from Dan. Uh, when you talk about the way someone's drums sound on a recording, how much are you talking about the production versus the sound of the drums themselves? He says, I've been getting more into drum production, and I'm finding that through audio engineering and enough effort, you can make a drum sound like anything you would like. So when you compliment someone's tom sounding lively, for example, how much are you praising their choices in drum production versus their gear tuning and performance? Man, what a great question. Yeah. What a what a muddy question for where we are right now and where we've been for maybe the last decade and a half is you know, you and I could praise somebody's drum tones and find out a week later that it wasn't even their drum tones. It was all 
samples. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think so, in the early days of YouTube, we kind of got enamored with the high production quality because it was so drastic than the the crappy cell phone video that people were doing. And sure. I know there were quite a few that I'm like, wait a minute, that's a note for note. Like they just reproduced their drum performance using samples. So it sounds super duper clean for the video. Right. So it's got this really high produced video and they're playing along to the video and you think, wow, what an amazing drummer, what an amazing drum sound. But then... For me, once I got familiar with what all the samples were everyone was using, it became, oh, you're using Stephen Slate samples. Yeah, Yeah, and I think that that's tough. It comes down to, there's a few drummers that you and I know where we know what they're known for. They're actually brought into the studio for their organic sound and for their tones and their textures. And so there's certain people when we listen, like I know that, Sorry, there's a lot of sirens going on right now. Apparently, a lot of crime in Hamburg. Um, that's such a German siren sound. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but you're gonna if you're bringing in Jim Keltner, you want all of Jim Keltner. You want him. You want his sound, his texture. You know, I mean, obviously, you're gonna mix mix it, but you're probably not gonna dump a bunch of slate samples on top of Keltner's mm. drums. So that's probably when Mike and I go out of our way to mention somebody's sound. A lot of times it's probably because we know who's drumming and we know how they would have been produced, or at least we think we do. Yeah. I mean, I know there's there's certain genres that I just won't even put the sound of the drums into context of whether I like it or not, because I know it's, sure. all, it's all samples. Like, okay, right. now it just comes down to the ideas, because it's gridded and sound replaced, so are the ideas interesting? Uh, but yeah, I think for me, I can hear the air in the recording. And then yeah. I immediately start listening to the tone. If if I hear that, okay, this is actually a band playing in the room, and I'm yeah. not identifying the same BFD samples or whatever it is. I mean, sure. The, the longer I do it, the more that's like instant. Like I can hear Easy Drummer within two seconds. I just like I really I just, you just know the samples. Yeah, I just know the sound of the rooms and everything they use. I'm like, all right, that's that's Easy Drummer. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got gotcha. you. Awesome. All right, let's do one more. All right, this one is from Matt. Um, okay, let's see. My drum life is a middle-aged guy dealing with stress by pretending I am Jeff Picaro slash Steve Smith in my drum room as often as I can with no real desire to do anything else. I do, do want to get to practicing hearing myself play through headphones with and without music. I don't have any recording experience, um, and my eyes gloss over and my brain shuts down when people start talking about interfaces and all of that. Am I correct in thinking that the Yamaha EAD-10 would be the perfect solution? Uh, I say yes. I say yes. I was I was literally just like, as soon as Mike stops reading this question, I'm firing off the Yamaha EAD-10. <laughs> yeah, it's um, the other thing that I maybe gave it like a knock about it, but I think actually might be a positive, is when I reviewed it, I said one thing that really frustrated me was how overbuilt it was. But when I watched everyone use it for the first time without any explanation, it's actually built incredibly simple to get around. So a a novice, non-recording engineer, non-interface person could easily figure this thing out in a second. But a year from now, when you do have it figured out, there's so much more that it can do that it'll you can grow with it. And especially like you know, you and I have talked, but you could add what two more triggers to it. Yeah, you I can think? split. Uh, you can split each trigger into two monos, so you could have four triggers or pads potentially. Yeah, so you could trigger an entire practice pad kit. You yeah, know? exactly. Um, so there's there's a lot you could do with it. So yeah, I think the EAD10 would be a, a great answer for somebody that doesn't want to get into an interface. I don't think it's the answer for somebody that's wanting to slowly get into recording. I think for that person, get into recording, get a good yeah. one overhead get an interface but for somebody that doesn't want to get into recording or for somebody like myself and mike who we do recording but we also do other things it's it's so cool to have that in my practice room now i love having it put my headphones on and just like you probably i don't use any of the laser beams i literally just have a little bit of reverb a little bit of compression and i put in my in-ears or my headphones and it sounds like my entire kit's mic'd yeah i I enjoy practicing more with it exactly and you can run a line from your 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 phone. laptop or phone straight into it and yeah it's it's yeah. it's the perfect solution so that's it get it done there you go <laughs> all right it is time for our picks of the week and 
I'm going to tell you right now that my pick of the week is pretty simple. Uh, and it would just be, it's for any of you that are making videos, and this is something that I've been doing more and more of lately, especially when I travel, and it would just be a small notebook to write a shot list in. You could obviously get an app for this. They make plenty of apps for this. But if you're gonna start making little travel videos or compilation videos, especially if you're a drummer out on tour with your band, if you start shooting everything that's interesting, you're gonna dump your memory card onto your either your, di your drive or onto your laptop. And you're going to find out right away that you've got 65 files and you need to make a one minute Instagram <laughs> right. It sucks. And I've done it and that's why I know it sucks. <laughs> if you instead earlier in the day write a shot list of like, okay, we're going, like for me, I'm in Hamburg, Germany. I, I've already decided today that Hamburg will not be the focus of my travel vlog today. Instead of doing the city, the store that I'm playing at will be the focus. And mm. I've got a shot list that tells me Film yourself holding your snare bag, walking into the to the store. I need that shot. Mm. That's going to start this thing. Then I have slow motion shots planned out from behind a symbol wall where I can just see the customers coming in for the clinic. And eventually then they're sitting in their seats. And then it's me and Yoast laughing at something in slow motion. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like having these things planned out means I only have to purposely get nine shots. And here's the other thing. As soon as I shoot something with my phone or with my camera in this case, and I know I didn't get the shot, I immediately delete it. So I'm not, mm. as soon as I get back to the hotel tonight, I will literally have 10 shots. They will all be the shots I need for my video. And I will be able to edit and compile my video in a few minutes rather than going through 65 files of two to 10 second clips of crap. That's cool. I mean, okay, so this brings up a question that might lead us to a different discussion. But when doing, when thinking that much about the end result, how do you keep mm -hmm. yourself from being completely detached from actually experiencing what it is that you're filming? Um, Do you kind of get well, the shot and then you, sh you shut your brain off and go into just normal guy mode? Or are you in filmmaker yeah. mode the entire time? No, no. What, what um, you know, since you've been to PASIC, covering PASIC, you know what it's like as far as how much boredom, waiting around time there is. You might set up your kit an entire 24 hours before you play it. Mm -hmm. So what I've noticed is it's, it's really when I'm starting to get bored that now I have this creative outlet. You know, uh, oh, right, when okay. I when I did the drum festival in Poland, uh, my sound check was at 7 a.m. and I performed at 7 p.m. Oof, yeah. And I did go to the hotel, but I got I didn't want to miss any of the performers. Uh, I wanted to be there to support them. So I got to the show at noon and I was there from noon and I didn't play until seven. I can only warm up on a practice pad for so many hours. Right. Yeah. So every time I felt like my hands are warm, I'm going to go out and shoot Josh Dion real quick. I'm going to get, I just need five seconds of him mm. and I just need one of his hair flips. That's all I need. Slow motion <laughs> hair flip. Good to go. And then I would, then I would think, okay, well I'm going to go warm up my hands again. Oh man, I didn't get anything of Josh from the crowd. I go out to the crowd, get that five second shot. Um, and I'm always shooting in 60 frames per second, knowing that I'm going to slow it down. And so, so yeah, so it's really that it's curing my boredom. You know, when I'm, when I finally get bored of playing on a pad or warming up or whatever, then I have this other creative outlet. That's my camera to make a drum video. So it's actually quite fun. Cool. All right. Well, yeah, my man. pick of the week is, um, vibes, high fidelity earplugs. These are, um, what are they? The price is really I think they're like 20 bucks. I'll find them by the end of this segment. So the point I'm I'm picking these is they're simple. They're they're clear, so they don't look really strange when they're sticking out of your ear. And most importantly, they only they evenly balance down the the frequencies. So they remove about 16 decibels at the 125 range. And then when you get up to the super high end, they reduce about 24, 25 decibels. So it's getting rid of all the painful highs, but also a lot of the, the lows that make earplugs sound so muffled and distorted. Oh, cool. So it's a, gen it's a pretty natural hearing experience when you put these in. Um, so yeah, let's, what is the price on these suckers? I think they are 20 bucks. Yep, 24 bucks. Online, if you go to discovervibes.com, super simple and come with a nice little case. Um, they work great. I use them when I'm practicing or playing louder gigs. That's it. Vibes. Nice. High fidelity earplugs. And check them out. All right. Well, everyone, have a fantastic day. By the way, 
to everybody that came out tonight in Hamburg. Thank you so much. What an experience, guys. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, you had to be there, obviously, but wow. Wow, did we have some fun. <laughs> and no slight to all the other experiences that you don't talk about because they haven't happened no, yet. No, <laughs> no. And, and Cologne, wow, you guys killed it tomorrow. Um, so anyways, I uh, look forward to seeing everyone that I get to see, and then we'll talk about it in past future tense. Anyways, uh, so I won't see you or talk to you until after PASIC, right? That's right. A couple days Have a blast, me. buddy, man. Yeah. Have a blast. Keep us posted. And I can't wait to recap that next week when I'm back in town and you're back in town. So we've got Nick from Poughkeepsie is going to play us out here. So Nick's beat, he is playing a little, he says, a cross, tap, cross stick and finger tap variation, which is pretty neat. He's got Get a it, Nick. three-ply maple poplar mahogany kit with a little 18-inch bass drum. Ludwig Acrylite snare, there you go. He's using those 10-inch Peisty Swiss hats, which sound neat. That's it. Thanks, Nick. There's some sirens There's for some Nick. Sirens for Nick. Dude's All on right. fire. Dude's on fire. <laughs> All, right. All right. Later, buddy. See ya.